Well, good morning, folks. Um, this morning's Bible reading is from Isaiah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 20, then uh, skipping over to chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. So Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 1. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, people loaded with guilt, a brood of evil doers, children have no uh, uh, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord, they have spurned the Holy One of Israel, and turned their backs on him. Why should you be beaten any more? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted, from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. There is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, no, uh, not cleansed or bandaged or sued with oil. Your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire, your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty has left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our Lord, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to me, come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In chapter 2. 
This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountains of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The Lord will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm sure you would have noticed as Russell was reading the transformation between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Keep that in the back of your mind as we think about this chapter. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word and think about uh, what Isaiah spoke on your behalf, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see your world the way you see it and please help us to see your people the way you see them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a look at that. Isn't it lovely? Look at the potential. I mean, the stonework, the way it's put together. Imagine what you could do with it. Imagine the big lounge room, the long hallway, the living room down the end, the industrial-sized kitchen, the bedrooms, the second floor. Can you see it? Um, If you were a renovator, you would, wouldn't you? A renovator sees things that the rest of us miss. They see the potential. They see what could happen. They see the transformation there could be. Well, this one, I mean, look at that. It's even got a pool. Incredible, isn't it? In the book of Isaiah, it feels like that's what you have. You look at chapter 1, you think, what a mess. And then you look at chapter 2 and you think, wow, what a transformation. The book of Isaiah, we've got this renovator's dream. We see, the, um, we, see the work, the, we see God's people, God's precious people, being brought out of this mess of a defeated Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah, what you have is a vision of transformation, a complete turnaround, a transformation of a city and a people. So the first verse of Isaiah chapter 1 says it's a vision, the vision that Isaiah saw during the kings that I mentioned there. And in chapter 2 verse 1 it says... This is what he saw. This is the vision. This is a vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem. If you had a map, you could find them. So Isaiah 1, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. And Isaiah 2, verse 1, this is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. We're seeing this vision of Judah and Jerusalem, this vision that Isaiah saw from God. Um, verse 1 lists, of chapter 1 lists those four kings. So there's Uzziah, and if you're in growth group, you would, would have worked out. He also goes by the name Azariah, and then Jotham, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Back in COVID days, when we were in lockdown, we were on our way through one and two kings, and we, we covered these kings. That last king there, um, Hezekiah, he was the king who nearly saw Jerusalem fall, but God spared Jerusalem at that point. 
But as you look through your, you know, you do your Old Testament overview, you would have seen this little picture before. We used to call it the coat hanger. Um, as you look through the plot of the Old Testament, the way things progress, you, you, I think you can't quite see it from the back there. I'll zoom in a little bit. This is where we are. We are in the divided kingdom. So the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, they got into the land. They had the king Saul and then David and then Solomon. And after Solomon, the kingdom divided into two, around about you know, 900 BC-ish. And Isaiah, he is around the place around 700 BC-ish. Um, at a time when you've got Assyria in the north pressing down, um, conquering their way through the northern tribes of Israel. But before, Isaiah's there before Babylon comes in. So the northern tribes, they'll be taken away. They'll be obliterated. But Isaiah is speaking to the leftovers of Judah and Jerusalem before Babylon comes down and takes people into captivity. So verse 1 of chapter 1 lists those four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. If you want to think about it in these terms, there's you know, the Assyrian Empire in Isaiah's day, vast. And down the bottom you'll see Egypt and the kings of Judah with their brothers, the northern kingdom pressing down on them, and Assyria above that. They tried to make allegiances with Egypt and so on, trying to put their trust in these other nations. That's the kind of the context it's this picture of a, a small group of people that are oppressed by the nations around them. This tiny little group of people in a little corner of the world. Um, but what Isaiah sees is this vision of transformation, this vision of everything being changed, this little nation becoming great again. So if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, you'll get this situation where not only will Jerusalem become new and big and better, you'll have the nations streaming in to Jerusalem. So 2 verse 1 goes, This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mount of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the nations will stream to it. So over the coming weeks, as we work our way through Isaiah, we'll be unraveling this vision of transformation. But Isaiah had this vision at a time when God's people were divided and tiny and defeated under the pressure from Assyria above. So back in 1 verse 1, you look at those kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. When you read through two kings, Hezekiah is that king who is hanging on when everything's falling around, apart, around him. They even become besieged. Isaiah is God's prophet to the little half nation of Judah, a little defeated nation of people. It's at this low point that Isaiah has this vision of transformation. It's not a vision just in one go. I mean, we're going to look across, you know, there's 66 chapters of this. This is, you know, little bits and pieces that Isaiah saw and passed on. But you put it all together, and I think that's what chapter 1, verse 1 is referring to, the whole lot. You put it together and you have this vision of transformation. Um, and then you look at chapter 2 and you think, as you look at the transformation that's there, it's not just the city that changes, it's the people God changes people's hearts. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. This is a transformation of humans, of people. Transformation of people's hearts. People that God has completely turned around from the inside out. So chapter 1, verse 1 through to 2, verse 5, what you've got is like the summary of everything that's come in this book of Isaiah. 
It's a big flyover, the overview of the whole lot. This vision in chapter 1, verse 1, and in 2, verse 1, is the whole book, is what I'm saying. It's a huge vision of Jerusalem, and not just Jerusalem, the nations, us, the Gentiles, all streaming in to God's people. Um, And chapter 1, verse 1, as you look at those kings, it locates us in 700 BC-ish, 700 years before Christ. But this vision has far more scope. Um, If you notice, 1 verse 1, the vision that Isaiah saw, the son of Amos saw, so around 700 BC when you look at those kings, but then 2 verse 2 goes, chapter 2 verse 2, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. This is a vision that looks through to the end of time, to the time when Jesus will return. What happens in Judah, it's going to impact the world from 700 BC through to our future. That's what this vision is about. And this um, vision, the end of this vision, it's there in verse 3. This is what the renovator sees. I mean, we see this broken down people of Judah and Jerusalem. This is what God sees. Verse 3, many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They'll beat their, spe- their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. This is a massive vision of God transforming the world. That's what we're looking at when we come to Isaiah. And when you think about the scope, it's not just Judah and Jerusalem, it's the nations. This vision includes us. So as we're reading through this vision in Isaiah, there's ways in which it hits home for us too. And so as we unpack Isaiah's vision in all these various parts, keep this in mind, keep asking yourself, is that the way I see the world? Is this my vision? Because when you think about the transformation, it is a vision of hope. It's God turning people into people who want to live for him, wanting to live God's way. So let's um, think some more about Isaiah as a whole before we come back through some details in chapter 1. Um, right the way through the book of Isaiah, we're going to do this thing of alternating from 700 BC to the end. So like you've seen in chapter 1 and 2, you're going to see this, this jump happening. Um, you come to refrains which picture the nations streaming into the new Jerusalem and singing God's praises, just like you see in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. So you'll have this, this refrain that comes through. So the book, it starts with Judah and it ends with the whole earth transformed into a new heavens and a new earth. That's kind of the, the scope. Another observation as you think about the book as a whole, it falls very neatly into two parts. Um, the book is pre- predominantly poetry. And when, when I say poetry, I'm not thinking of rhyming stuff. It's Hebrew poetry. So the visions that Isaiah had from God or the messages he had from God get spoken in poetry, poetic form. But there's chapters 36 to 39, bang in the middle, where it switches from poetry to prose. It's like cut and paste from Kings and Chronicles. It just sits there, bang in the middle, dividing the book into two. It's a helpful thing to notice. The book falls into two. If you've dug around and thought a little bit more about about Isaiah, you'll make this observation that others have made, that there's 66 chapters as there's 66 books in the Bible. And chapter 40 sits in the middle, the same number of chapters as books in the Old Testament, books... But just keep in mind, the chapters were added later. They're an afterthought. What you can't miss is this change from 
poet poetic writing to prose and then back to poetry right in the middle, dividing the book in two, and maybe that's why they've numbered things the way they have. Um, another... Uh, when, when you, when you, another thing to notice about this split between the two, when you look back through the first half, it's all in this present tense. So chapters 1 to 38 is talking about now, Isaiah's day, this is what's going to happen. You need to keep trusting God. Don't put your trust in the nations, this sort of thing. But then when you come to chapters 39 to 40, it starts looking future, looks ahead, looks beyond Isaiah's day, looks into the time when Babylon will come and conquer Jerusalem and they'll be taken away and looks further ahead to what, in hindsight, we can see are bits of the New Testament. So there's this past and present kind of feel. Again, maybe why they've um, numbered the chapters the way they have. There's this move from the Assyrian threat in Isaiah's day to the future Babylonian threat when they'll come and, and conquer, conquer Jerusalem. So Isaiah sees the Babylon captivity coming and he sees beyond that in the second half of the book. He sees the new Jerusalem established as a centre of the world and people streaming to her, just like you saw in chapter two. Pardon me, in chapter two. Um, one more thing. So we're just thinking how this whole thing fits together before we come back to look at part of chapter one. One more thing to notice about Isaiah is that it's a message of judgment as well as hope. The second half of the book um, in particular gives a vision of hope in the midst of rebellion and defeat but the hope comes through judgment. And as you look at the second half of the book, you, yeah, you start to see the New Testament coming in. You start to see how, even though this is 2,700 or so years ago, what Isaiah spoke that God gave him to speak, what's been written down for us, is relevant for us as well. For example, if you look at a very um, well-known part, um, I'll just read it, no need to jump around if you would not want to. Have a look at how it describes what it says in chapter 53, verse 5. So this is Isaiah speaking 700 BC-ish. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. You can see the cross, can't you? You can see Jesus in this stuff that's written 2,700 years ago. Um, Isaiah he has this vision from God, a vision of Jerusalem and of the nations, a vision from 700 BC that looks towards the end of time where we see Jesus in the middle. Jesus is God's way of do, making that transformation of these people and us. Jesus is God's way of bringing about the new Jerusalem with people streaming in to God. But to get there, judgment happens. So that's Isaiah's vision. Um, it's God's vision for his people and his world. And when you think about it, it sounds a lot like passages like this in the New Testament. So 1, Peter, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge then, first of all, that prayers and requests, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You can hear Isaiah 2 in the background, can't you? people streaming in to God. God's plan is to see this world transformed, to see people transformed. Um, God's plan for our messed up world is, it's like a renovator's dream. He can see what the end will be. And we ought to be sharing his hope and his dream as well. Um, 10 years ago, I did a little plot of who we were as KPC at the time, scattered around Brisbane. 
that's out of date. I'm not going to update it. It's too much effort. But I suspect it's pretty much the same shape now, isn't it? And you think about it, that's us. You know, a bit of, bit of Brisbane. A tiny little blip in the, in the, on the earth. A lot like Judah and Jerusalem. Just nothing. Hidden away. But part of God's world, part of the people that God desires to see transformed, streaming in to him. Part of the people that you see in Isaiah 2... Verse 2, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. That's us. That's the vision. Um, we're not finished the sermon yet. That's the, the kind of the scope of Isaiah as a book. If you're looking at it through growth group, you get the advantage of concentrating on the, the back end of Isaiah. Here at church, we'll spend most of our time in the front. So come back to the passage that was read. Come back to chapter 1 verse 1 through to 2, verse 5. Get a feel for the state that Judah and Jerusalem are in. Um, look at the problem of God's people. So 1, verse 2, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Isaiah's not holding back. He's got this message from God. He's saying that God's people have turned their back on God. Goes on in verse 4, Our sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption, they've forsaken the Lord, they've spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. The only reason um, Jerusalem, God's people, isn't you know, obliterated off the face of the earth, like Sodom and Gomorrah, is there in verse 9, God's chosen to save. 1 verse 9, unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. The people, they've, they've turned their back on God. They're worthy of being judged like Sodom and Gomorrah, but God's given them more time. It's like they're keeping up appearances to some extent. They're going on with their offering of sacrifices, their holy days and everything, but it's meaningless. So if you jump down to 1 verse 13... Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. That's the state of these people in 700 BC or thereabouts. And as you think about it, you realise how patient God is and how merciful he is. Despite their rebellion, God has a plan to transform them. So you come to verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they're red as crimson... They shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. There's God's people. He's mercifully giving them the choice. And yet they keep choosing to rebel. And so they're described as a harlot, completely unfaithful. Verse 21, see how the faithful city has become a harlot. She once, she once was full of promise. You see this contrast in chapter 1 with the goal in chapter 2, the transformed people of God. So in chapter 1, verses 1 to 21, Judah and Jerusalem are a mess, and God then brings his judgment on his people. God uses um, Judah's enemies to decimate the countryside and leave the city of Jerusalem isolated alone. That's in Assyria's day. Assyria gets to the front door of Jerusalem. But even then, God is, uh, God's people keep looking to the, the nations around. They put their trust in allegiances 
with Egypt and the other nations, thinking that that will get them out of their spot of bother rather than turning back to God and repenting. And you're left thinking, well, how can this vision of chapter 2, how can it come about? How's it ever going to happen? And the, the answer is God brings it about through judgment. Judgment is the way God transforms. And as a result of this judgment, there's a purified remnant of God's people that form the nucleus of the new nation of Israel that grows, the new people of God. So you start to see it in 1 verse 25. I'll turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. And down in verse 27, Zion will be redeemed with justice, her penitent ones with righteousness, but rebels and sinners will both be broken and those who forsake the Lord will perish. As you read on through Isaiah, what you see happening is God judges and spares a remnant, and this remnant gets smaller and smaller. The passages we were looking at in growth group this week were looking at this servant of the Lord. You know, it looks like it's going to be the nation of, of Judah, but then it narrows down to one person. And with our you know, New Testament perspective, we see it narrows right down to Jesus and then opens out again as people come streaming in. That's the shape of it. It's only with our New Testament perspective that we can see that it's, Jesus is the servant of the Lord in Isaiah, the one that God uses to bring about this salvation through judgment. So Isaiah's vision gives us the overview, and we have this kind of sneak peek of what it's going to look like in chapters 1 to, 1 to 2, 5. This sinful, rebellious people made clean, transformed into the centre of the new heaven and the new earth. It's a vision of hope, a vision of hope which should be our hope as well, because this is a vision that includes the nations as well. Isaiah, what it does is it gives us the whole gospel in Old Testament language, that when Jesus comes, it just makes sense, it fits in. Um, one of the significant themes in the first half of the book is that Israel should look to God. They should trust Yahweh. You'll see it an echo refraining through in the sermons over the coming weeks. The kings of Judah, as they attempt these allegiances with the nations around, they're not trusting God like they should, and so Isaiah is calling them back. They needed to learn the lesson. Um, but as we look at it, we just see God's amazing power, and we can trust him. And this plot twist happens. The nations that the people want to put their trust in end up streaming back to God in Jerusalem. That's the picture. So that's, that's the vision. As we read Isaiah... I think we need to remember who we are. So we'll be reading about God's people, Israel, but we're the nations. We're the outsiders that get included in. Keep that in mind as you're reading through. We live under the sovereign God that Israel lived under, but we're included in um, as we turn back to God with a repentant heart. If we continue to ignore God and rebel against God, then, yeah, you'll see yourself being described in Isaiah as well. And so for us, you know, do we see the world this way? Do we see the world the way that Isaiah sees the world, the way God sees the world? People rebelling against God and yet the potential of God saving and bringing people to him. Let's not lose sight of that big picture. Um, let's keep being the ones who want to be described there in chapter 2, verse 3, coming to the mountain of the Lord, wanting to live in his ways. That's where we want to find ourselves. Um, or in 2 verse 5, let us be the ones who walk in the light of the Lord. I started us off by thinking about a silly picture of an old house, this renovator's dream. That's the way we should see the world. I mean, people are finding all sorts of ways to ignore God and then you know, affirm ourselves in our rebellion against God. 
but we need to see a world that needs to be judged so that God's people um, will come back and repent. Is that how you see the world? Do you have this crystal clear vision like we find in Isaiah? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would help us to see your world the way you see it. Please help us to see your people the way you see them. Lord, we know that our world, the world we live in, the world we're part of, are people who need to be forgiven for rebelling against you. And Father, we know how easy it is to just join in. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world. Thank you for making him the perfect Israelite, the perfect man. Thank you for his death in our place. And thank you that his death and sacrifice is sufficient to turn aside your judgment and deal with the consequences of our rebellion. Lord, we pray that you would be at work in us. Please help us to keep trusting in Jesus' death in our place. Please give us the assurance of forgiveness. And please help us to live for you, we pray. We ask that as a church that we would share your vision of seeing a world of people who want to live for you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.